You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Wow, the hit is out there, man. I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon now. Waddle, waddle. Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown! You got it! It's Waddle! His sixth touchdown Six pass of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we are looking back at the Sunday night football game against the Chargers with a tape, the stats, where things didn't work, where they did, the full aftermath, plus snap counts and Mike McDaniel's Monday press conference coverage from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins Let's kick it off as we do every single Tuesday here on Drive Time with the film, and we start with the offensive side of the football, going chronologically here and covering the players as we get to the plays and the big moments of the game. And it feels for the second straight week like the opening drive, well, I shouldn't say the opening drive because Miami scored against the Niners on their opening drive, but after that play and just the slow start in general after that was only a few inches away from potentially getting the offense into a rhythm. Now, again, against San Francisco, seven points early within 10 seconds. But after that, a couple of drives, I think three of the next four were three and outs, where they had balls that were just barely tipped by the middle linebackers or just off target to the receivers in that second level. And the Dolphins' first three plays, all incomplete passes, Really similar story. The first one was a great recovery by the safety to get under that ball to Tyreek Hill. The second was another really good coverage rep where Waddle couldn't get separation. And the third was arguably, the, the to me, the, one of the best throws of the night from Tunga Vailoa. Really nice timing to, to Tyreek, who had cleared the hook linebacker, and he throws it before he cleared the hook linebacker. Ball meets him right on time in the opening, and we can't squeeze it and finish the play. I thought it was a great throw and one that we need to finish and execute. So from the start, you can see what Coach McDaniel's talking about with the issues you know, being widespread and not any one individual thing, as we'll cover here on the rest of the show. And it continued on the next series as those quick throws where Tua is, you know, riding the back of the the belly of the back and pulls that thing out and pops the ball in behind the linebackers. The Chargers were just pressing the issue with outside leverage and driving hard on those in cuts. And our routes were those a lot of times little uh, glances or skinny posts or just quick catch rock throw, get off the line, get into the soft spot and take off after that. And it can be difficult against the type of defense the Chargers played so frequently against those routes to generate separation because there's not really a setup move. It's more so just get on the inside shoulder and win with that spacing afforded to you based upon the alignment. And these guys were driving so hard, anticipating those balls in the middle and getting over the top of the play before our receivers could make the catch and get going. And they were making these windows awfully minuscule for our quarterback and receiver to work with. And we just didn't hit them consistently. But you had a lot of the same where you where the run action, the curl flat action, opened up space in the middle, but their corners just blanketed our receivers. That's what it came down to on a lot of these plays to me. This is a question for, I guess, a football coach or someone who understands the X's and O's better than I do, but I'm curious, 
what would the adjustment be to that type of play from the corner where it's aggressive outside leverage, or I should say inside leverage, driving in, just selling out to stop that glance route. I think we may have seen some of that later on in the game, and we'll cover that here on the podcast. I loved that first third down conversion to Tyreek, the hook route where we are backed up to our own goal line. That's a big time catch and throw. They're a great pocket has, you know, the pockets have been really good the first two series and a good rip by Tua to throw the ball before Tyreek comes out of the break. That's a nice adjustment the Chargers made to deepen their hook zones and we found a way to throw it in under that hook zone and still get the first down, kind of like the Niners did last week uh, with those deep drops with Fred Warner. We just didn't hold blocks long enough early in the running game and it happened really all over the formation, you know, tackle to tackle. We struggled to get the edges sealed. We didn't get movement at the point of attack with nearly enough consistency. There were some instances, but early in the game, not at all. I understand the desire to commit to the run, but man, it's tough to want to run the ball when it's consistently second nine, second and nine, second and ten for an offense that has made more hay on first down than any other offense in the league this year. It's just a different game than we've been playing all year long, and so that put them behind the chains, and just it's tough to get going that way. Let's go ahead and break down the post route that went incomplete. Uh, second and 13, minus 22-yard line, balanced 21 personnel. That means two backs, one tight end, and uh, Ingold was kind of acting as the other tight end on the other side of the formation with Durham Smythe as both of those guys were attached to either side of the line of scrimmage, single back, and then one receiver to either side of the field. Both Tyreek and Jalen are in minus splits. That's where they're inside the numbers. Waddle to the boundary, the short side. Tyreek to the field, the wide side. And the Chargers are showing two-man. Press coverage with the corners, two high safeties in that 3-4 base shell. The Dolphins do a fake toss along with Ingold's pre-snap motion that creates this, again, really nice, clean pocket. And it identifies a safety uh, driving down and creating a middle-of-the-field safety, which is where that post route was perfect across his face because that boundary safety tries to buzz a potential crosser from Tyreek, and he runs past that and basically takes him out of the play, and all of a sudden, it's one-on-one in space with Tyreek running full speed and that safety having to change directions, and it's perfect. That's exactly what you want in that look. You freeze it with Tua loading up at his own 17. Tyreek is at full speed at the 35, hasn't broken in yet. The ball is out super early before Tyreek makes that move to the post, and the ball hits the hash mark at the other 45-yard line, and Tyreek's at the 46-yard line just outside the hash. So you can tell that he like never sees the football. The ball's in the air, and Tyreek has looked back at the safety over the top before the ball hits, and that safety is falling down. So if he sees it and runs under it, I don't think that safety has much of a chance to tackle him. 45 more yards after the catch would have been a 78-yard touchdown if they connect on it. I think it's a tough pill to swallow there. And then the next play, I think that might have been the first time all year I've seen Teron Armstead really beat in a one-on-one situation for that Kyle Van Noysack. A really nice spin back inside by him. Just that kind of night where things would pop up here and there throughout the course of the night. I thought they created some chances with shifts and motions, but a lot of times it was shifting with no one moving at the snap where they kind of came set and we run the play from there. And then we had that one deep shot to Gasicki against man coverage. I just, I'm not crazy about that look, that deep shot, and then one later to Trent Sherfield where he got jammed out out of bounds. Those are the two plays where I was like, all right, this might be a longer night for the offense because Gasicki just... His operation's not quick enough to to run that type of route where you're going to have, you know, you need three or four seconds to pump the ball that deep down the field. It's not quick enough to line, not quick enough up the stem, anywhere to make that a possibility of anything beyond, you know, a 50-50 high point catch. And that's just not to his game. So it's kind of a, 
a square peg round hole situation there. But after that deep shot out of bounds to Gasicki, we get a nice timing throw on a dig, but the corner is driving before the ball is out. They anticipated our throws like we've seen from our offense anticipate their throws, and they were able to contest all those throws and, and frankly win just about all of them. If you can run a seven route on them, like a flag or a corner, then maybe you prevent that type of squatting. The one in particular was a defensive pass interference against Waddle, and that corner part of the field, the, the flag area, is completely vacant with a single high safety who's not really paying attention to it. So you would see the Dolphins come back that later, as we'll get to here in a second. But the run game kind of got cranking at that point as well. Back-to-back runs uh, were big chunk gains, the second one being the fumble Tyreek scoop and score with Rob Jones getting excellent reach blocks and staying glued to his blocks on those. And then the fumble scoop and score, what a great job by Rob Hunt to get push. Shell climbs up to the second level for a big block, but then he just kind of leaves his man there and doesn't finish the play. And that's actually the guy that forces the fumble. So it's kind of a tricky rep there. And you also had Durham Smythe wipe out the edge on split flow for Wilson to find that big lane. We talked about it on the Monday show. Just great effort and finish from Tyreek to find that ball and take it all the way around the edge. So despite that early rep from Teron Armstead, I thought he had a great game still. He did get beat later on in the fourth quarter, but just so good. He had a great down block on a big Wilson run for 20 yards where he works down the line, gets a little chip on Robert Jones's man, and then feels the Sam linebacker scraping up over the top and bang, goes and wipes him out too. I thought Tua's first scramble, uh, the throwaway, and watching it back on tape was just an instance of things we haven't seen all year with this offense. Both Tyreek and Jalen get contact to the top of the route, and then it just kind of stops. Like, no secondary move, no off-script potential to try to make things happen. And Tua's just kind of stuck, forced forced to sit there and try to figure it out. It kind of reminded me of last year in a little bit where we run those one routes that are coming back to the quarterback, and if it's not there, just basically cut bait and, and move on. And we saw that a few times in this game, I thought. A play later, we get a beautiful dig route to Cedric Wilson with great anticipation. A throw where the ball's out before the receiver clears the hook backer, meets him right at the chains for a big third and 10 conversion. On that play, there was a potential deep shot open. We threw it early, so I'm not going to get too bogged down in that. Uh, great great job in pass pro really throughout the course of the night. Outstanding work against the four-man rush on that play, including a stunt completely wiped out by uh, Connor Williams and Robert Jones. But as for the one-to-one shot that I thought was there, Waddle has a one-on-one opportunity to the field and got on top of his man and stacked him. And, like, you can't complain about first down conversions on third and 10, but I keep wondering how much the Chargers have to adjust if we can just hit one deep ball early in this game, like on that play. Then you get a false start three plays later on third and 10. Uh, You get the Sherfield attempt up the sideline and it's punting time again, but Tua throws that ball when the corner jams and flattens because the half field safety to that side follows Tyreek into the post. So it clears the sideline. I'm thinking that's probably what Tua saw to take that shot to the sideline. But Sherfield stops, and you see the ref's hat come off, which means he would have been flagged for illegal touching. So again, that kind of night, like you can't go out of bounds there because Tyreek held the two men and the coverage. We need you to be part of the eligible portion of the route because you're taking away pretty much the conflict you've created by not being available. It's a big miss right there. I thought the Chargers all night long did so well with their man coverage of not getting caught on rubs, but also like could have seen more of them against that coverage. Like think about that waddle deep shot against the Bears that we missed or the slot fade against the Lions that we hit to waddle. Plays like that where it's kind of like a natural rub for the receiver. If you're going to play press man and you want to get rubbed against guys like Waddle and Hill, it's a tough way to make a living. 
man, I keep going back to Connor Williams' game because he was excellent once again. The way he attaches himself to blocks in the running game, he's got a top 10 run block win, win rate uh, according to ESPN, I thought we saw plenty of that in this game. Reach blocks, down blocks, holding the point, not letting guys get off of his initial block. Another really great game from Connor Williams. The dig that was broken up to Mike Gesicki on the drive before the end of the first half. Jalen Waddle runs the corner open and throws the mailbox up, right, where the hand goes up, hey, I'm open. And right when he throws the mailbox up, Tua was already throwing the football to Gesicki. So just up and down the tape, it's different things. Like I don't look at it as some talent deficiency or something unfixable at all. It makes more sense to me what Coach said on Sunday about not playing up to their talent level and to their standard. Just on a play-by-play basis, something would go wrong at various spots throughout the night, and that's how you wind up with a comprehensively underwhelming offensive showing, something we haven't seen much of all year because Tua throws the ball to the one guy that was kind of covered. You had an out route open and a corner route for a potential like 40-plus yard play to waddle. We got to hit those. Hit them last year. It's like the Baltimore game, right? That corner route. The Titans game, that corner route to Waddle. Similar throws, similar openings like that. We have to find a way to exploit that area of the field because teams are leaving that open, or I should say the Chargers left that open all night long. And I think teams will do it going forward. We'll see, but that's my expectation. And just as I say that, we get flawless execution on a deep ball. The motion man holds the safety, showing half field help to Tyreek's side, who's in a plus split. But Tyreek takes the outside release, and Tua holds that safety just enough inside by peeking to the short side of the field. And then he comes right back to Tyreek and lets it go, with Tyreek only five yards off the line of scrimmage. The ball descends 28 yards downfield right on the money. And Tyreek never really stacked the DB, who did a good job staying in phase. But it's a perfect ball, gets his feet tangled, and we get a cruise-in touchdown. Big-time throw, good catch, and good pass pro all around. I go back to Connor Williams here, opens another big lane for a long Raheem Roastert run on the next possession, and then Tua scrambles. I thought were a big part of the offensive, uh, some of the positives they did, where he'd break those clean pockets with a good downfield coverage and made three big plays with his legs. That's an added element we haven't seen much of this year. Big, big time to get that from the quarterback, especially against man coverage. That same possession as the first scramble, Tua has Waddle on those little skinny posts we've hit all year, but some interior pressure forces him to sidestep, and by the time we come back to look at it, it's too late. Take a check down, ball goes incomplete. Next play is the sack, so you see a bit of the protection issues pop up late in the game as part of the equation that McDaniel had mentioned. They started running a lot more outbreaking routes as the game went on. Talked about that, uh, corners, comebacks, outs, that type of thing. So I think that's an encouraging sign of in-game adjustments of the Chargers playing that aggressive inside leverage from that man coverage look. That speed out to waddle the catch and run for 20 or whatever it was, 19, is a good example of that for a completion. But some of Tua's scrambles came on those types of route combos. I think a week back home to work on that stuff and obviously fine-tune the rest of the offense I still feel good about them getting back on track because of that but that was kind of kind of it at the point the screen to Tyreek Hill on third and a mile came with 12.08 to play in the game they didn't get the football back until 2.40 to go down by two scores so tough to overcome that I think it's fixable they have to make an adjustment Teams are going to play this way against you now going forward. Take advantage and work driving the ball to the perimeter. Whip routes, flag routes, corners, comebacks, double moves back to the corner. That's how I think you can beat teams out of the style and get them back into playing the zone that you tore up all year long as a result. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back and get to the defense on the next side. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. So we heard about the offense. Let's go ahead and pick it up with a defensive performance from the Dolphins' 23-17 defeat 
at the L.A. Chargers, and they gave a ton of attention to Bradley Chubb in this game, man. He got chips all night long. That and getting wide against our initial rush, I thought, were the keys, uh, whether it was designed or off script. And he didn't really help with that because he kept jumping inside against those outside runs or against plays where there was no other outside contain in the pocket for Justin Herbert, who would get out there, again, whether it was a designed bootleg or against you know, off script, jump outside the B gap and have all that space to operate with and process, you know, not just half the field for a quarterback that expands the field on those plays because of the arm strength, uh, but just having him free to to either do that or run the football, which then puts your perimeter cornerbacks in a bunch of peril. So it was kind of twofold for those mistakes that kept offering those opportunities for that charger offense. And it, it created some big plays for them. And man, we just... I don't know what much, what more you can do with how many injuries are in the secondary. I know it's like other teams have injury issues as well, but you see it every single week. Playing so soft, bell out coverage, giving the quarterback really simple solutions to some of the answers or to some of the problems, I should say, that the pass rush creates because they are getting into the quarterback so quickly. You know, 2.3, 2.4, two and a half seconds pressure on the quarterback, but he's got answers. And that's part of the secondary, you know, not marrying up with the rush on a consistent basis. You have to find a better way, I think, to remove the hots and the answers of the offense to let this rush flourish and really give you the production at the level they're playing with because right now it's not happening. And I think it's because a lot of it has to do with that on the second level. Man, I love Zach Sealer's swim move and his dip and rip package. He wins so many reps of those two particular types of moves against the run or the pass rush. Then the dirty work where he holds the point of attack against double teams. Such a selfless player, man. He doesn't go outside the scheme looking to make a play on those types of plays. Just does his job, drops the anchor so others can take advantage of it. And we covered it plenty on the Monday show, but man, Christian Wilkins... What a night he had. He's winning in every conceivable way. Quickness, first off the ball, redirect, retrace, power, speed to power, everything. He's crazy, man. And it's from every position, too. Like, a lot of these are three techniques off the outside shoulder of either guard. Sometimes it's the four technique, the inside shoulder of the tackle. But on this particular play, excuse me, for the Chargers opening drive, he plays the five technique. Kind of a, uh, who plays that spot a lot? I don't know. You'll see, you know, I guess Nick Bosa plays sometimes there for the Niners when he's not in the wide nine, but it's a defensive end position, and they're going to try to pull the split flow tight end, split action coming back the other direction, and he goes in there and just whacks him, puts him on the ground, and then takes him right into the running back after turning the corner and makes a play on the running back. So it's, it's power, it's speed, it's recognition, it's smarts, it's everything. Uh, just a random note here, after watching some DB blitzes, we sure do miss Brandon Jones' blitzing and the way he timed it up to help the Dolphins' defense maintain their disguise on defense because there's just too many instances now where they show it before or where it's too early and the offense can ID that and find their hot route because they run to the line, have to stop, and the quarterback can make his checks from there. That happened, I thought, too frequently in this game. Cater Kohu made the big stop on that fourth down on the opening drive, but he was a big part of the tackle on that third down as well. Him and Xavier Howard both got through blocks to make that play. The same way that the Dolphins play action offense can suck up linebackers and create those intermediate throwing lanes, the Chargers had way too much success doing that in this game. Some of it was just way too easy, like day one install stuff against air almost where Xavier Howard's playing inside leverage, you know, with his butt to the sideline, free access to the inside from Mike Williams, who just runs the simplest, you know, free release, take the inside access, dig route, uh, 
put X on your back, cut it across the middle into an empty box. There's no linebackers there. Javon Holland's 25 yards off the football, not threatening the play whatsoever. Easy pitch and catch for like a 15, 18-yard game, whatever it was. I just wrote down it was a, a rough tape for Keon Cross, and he kept getting kind of picked on some of those quick throws. But the best call of the night defensively uh, from a – from Josh Boyer's perspective was Christian Wilkins' sack because Bradley Chubb falls right into the curl flat that Herbert wanted to go to. They drop eight, and you saw him kind of panic in the pocket despite just a three-man rush. He has nowhere to go. Christian Wilkins has a great second effort after his initial rush is thwarted, and he gets in for the sack. What a game for 94. He'll be in the notes a few more times. Uh, So will Jalen Phillips, and his work on those backside stretch runs away from him sure do put the athletic ability on display. He can angle in there and stay tight into the line so he doesn't overrun the play and get those running plays to the ground as well as anybody in the business. That sack at the end of the first half was more a display of athleticism where, you know, one of the quickest sacks in the NFL where it's a short corner, great get off, finish the play in like two seconds. You just don't see that very often. After the Mike Williams touchdown on the next drive after that, he comes in and makes another great play where he sets that edge. And I talked about it on the podcast on Monday. Keep the outside arm free, play your inside shoulder into the tackle, get that outside arm free so you can get off the block and make the play. That's two for one right there from one player. He is exceptional. I thought the Eric Rose sack was a great job by two safeties, him to engage the tackle and pass pro, and then work back inside with eyes on the quarterback to recognize that Herbert had stepped away from that initial surge and tried to roll out again. But Rowe was quick enough to get off the block and make that play where some of our ends were not able to do that with those initial pass rush surges inside. And then he finishes the tackle really well on Herbert, gets the legs wrapped, pull him to the ground. And then there was a crossing route that I thought Herbert wanted to go to but Javon Holland felt it the entire way and left his post and cut it off and it forced Herbert to eat it for the sack Uh, Christian Wilkins hand usage is so good gets an immediate pressure by just swiping the hands away when guys are not flush when they're not square like you see in a bear tech a, a bear front where you have you know head up over the center and the two guards when Wilkins has just one shoulder to attack guys don't punch him with a two-handed punch or even a one-handed punch and get effective hand usage because he's so quick to swipe those away from him. That, I thought, stood out big time in this game. I thought there were too many, too easy solution situations for the Chargers offense, as I mentioned earlier. A third and four on their own 15, the drive before the half. 10-7 game, you're feeling like you're back in it, and they run Keenan Allen in motion, and nobody goes with him. We blitz to that side, and it vacates the entire area. It gives Herbert knowledge of where the vacancy in the defense is going to go. It's the easiest catch and throw of his career. And he had a few of those in this game. Some of these DB blitzes just serve to leave us shorthanded where Cater comes in on on a blitz, misses the sack. And now Herbert says, okay, well he was covering Keenan Allen. I'll throw it to number 13 all alone for eight more yards. Third and 10, that same drive from the plus 27. Again, a chance to get off the field, keep it a one score game. Herbert breaks contain after a pass rush win from Phillips, but then we're just covering grass. Uh, It was crossing and was trying to determine whether to come up and make a play on the quarterback in the running game or to fall back into coverage. He winds up doing neither, stays flat-footed, and Herbert throws it over his head for a conversion. That sequence at the end of the first half was rough, man. You get a Phillips sack, a great pressure by Chubb and Wilkins to force a bad screen setup, which allows Rowe to come from depth and make another TFL. But then the 16 yards on third and goal from the 17, it's a four-point play, man, and it changes the entire equation of the game doesn't it like at the snap you've got three players five yards deep in the end zone I don't 
I don't get that. Five players at the two-yard line, three rushing, and this allows the Chargers offensive line to get out in space without having to worry about getting the initial block because Herbert just did it on his own with the space because he could. And it allows those three guys to essentially be not part of the play. And then you get a convoy of offensive linemen, 315-pound guys going downhill against a buck 90 weighing defensive backs. It was is bad. Opening drive, the second half, another Sterling open field tackle by Cater Coe, who gets the defense off the field. That's every week with this kid. I thought Jerome Baker's found a nice groove in the middle part of the season. He was covering a lot of ground and space. His tackle on Eckler on that third and goal long or uh, third and goal long play saved the touchdown, even though they scored in the following play. He did a good job on Herbert when he would roll out wide. Baker also has some nice reps coming down off the edge and playing more of an on-ball Sam linebacker type of position. We've seen him do that a few times the last couple of years, did it some more in this game. The second Phillips sack, which was negated, was the best pass rush rep, I think, of his career. They send a chip out wide to him on his outside shoulder, and he changes his rush path from a wide look to a foot in the ground, spin back inside, Right when the tackle throws the punch, get him leaning out over his skis, run that B-gap right into the quarterback for the sack. An awesome clip, and I don't think you can ask him to change one thing about it, even though he got flagged. Perfect rep from Phillips. He then gets in on the next play and teams up with Melvin Ingram and Christian Wilkins for a hit on the quarterback. And man, Herbert tried to throw it away, but his arm gets hit, and the ball still lands safely away from any defenders. We had a couple of plays like that where I thought, oh, we might get a cheap pick here. But it just was not meant to be, and that happened all throughout the night. I thought Xavier Howard had great coverage on that second deep shot to Mike Williams. was just a perfect throw, but touch him down at the same time. We saw Javon Holland's closing speed on a route by the back for the second straight week right after that big play. Similar play, too. Right before the, they kicked the field goal to go up 20-14, to 14, they had Eckler in the flat after motioning across, and Javon has to run all the way across the field again like he did on McCaffrey, and he took away the option this time where the Niners threw it and completed it short of the sticks. Herbert goes to a second, and it's well covered there by Elijah Campbell in the end zone, and he throws it high. How about Campbell's special teams play, by the way? Two huge plays by him there, and a third down incompletion force in the red zone. And then once again, there's Jalen Phillips getting off the ball first, winning a cross face, getting a tackle for loss, and a play away from him. What a player he is. That sets up a big third and three where Cater Kohu occupies two blocks in space and a screen pass and keeps Jerome Baker clean to make the stop. What a play by both of those guys. So it was two times the defense got back to the offense down by six, just couldn't find the complimentary nature of the game all night long. And then it comes down to that last drive and how heartbreaking was that one. Third and five, over 11 minutes to play. 15-yard line, Kohu's right there, but it's a perfect pass. Just a, a million moments the last two weeks where you can't help but think, what if we got that play? Just that one, that was one of them. Then 8.40 to go in the game, third and three. Another one of those man beaters with a quick throw to the motion man running away from us at the snap. Easy pickup. It's chunk gains after that into field goal range to all but ice it. But then you get life, a fumbled snap but they get it back. And we get life again with the field goal and the onside kick and the original muff, but we can't land on it. Frustrating game that seemed like it had its moments to seize, just never happened. Even when the Chargers held the ball for two-thirds of the game and nearly doubled up our yardage total, it felt like Miami had chances. I'm not sure what the solution is. If I did, I guess I'd be working a different job in football, but it seems to be the same issues that offenses find success against the Dolphins in the games they lose. Struggling to finish early down successes and a third down opportunities to get off the field largely with the pass rush getting in but then missing the sack and then it's the quarterback on the move against a secondary that has been stretched out by a broken play then those long drives quarterback taking what's there and just staying on the field milking the clock shortening the game 
and forcing our guys to play 70 or 80 snaps. That's your offensive and defensive film review. Let's go ahead and cover a few of the stats before we get to Mike McDaniel. Tua just one for seven on 20-plus air yard throws for 60 yards and a touchdown, the one Tyreek obviously. Just two for six in the intermediate for 25 yards. It's a lot like last year's stat line there. That's a killer. Combined, just three for 13 on 10-plus yard throws for 85 yards and a touchdown. The ball was out quick in both scenarios. 2.37 seconds on the deep shots, 2.3 to the intermediate. He was two for six when he was Blitzed for 60 yards in the touchdown. When he was not blitzed, 8 for 22 and 85 yards. Uh, pressured, 3 for 8 for 26 yards. For the first time in a while, he's not top of the league in passer rating. He's 0.2 points behind Jalen Hurts for the league lead, 108.4 to 108.2. He's second in total QBR behind Mahomes and third in EPA per play behind Allen and Mahomes. He dropped to second in touchdown rate behind Mahomes by a tenth of a point, 6.5 to 6.4. He's seventh in lowest INT rate, sixth in lowest sack rate. I give you these as a way to remind you it's been a very fruitful offensive season for the quarterback. Two games don't just wipe that away. Abnormally low receiving numbers, as you can imagine. Tyreek leads the way with 8.1 yards per target, lower than the season average. Still a good number. 3.24 yards per route ran is still fantastic. He seems impervious to slumps, even when the offense is not clicking. Waddle, just 7 yards per target. Another week with a low YPPR. 1.11 is criminally low for Jalen Waddle. Jeff Wilson was at 1.73, and nobody else cleared one, or even 0.33 for that matter, Trent Sherfield. We saw the least amount of separation all year. Next Gen had them playing press on half of Tyreek snaps against him. Similar number for Jalen Waddle. These two last two weeks are pretty unique in terms of the defense's styles compared to how most of the league operates, but it's not like it's something they never do and just started doing it. Remember, the Chargers signed one of the best man cover corners from football in J.C. Jackson, and they clearly coached up their depth to play with that style and play it well in the game on Sunday. Mostert had 3.36 yards after initial contact on four missed tackles on 11 rush attempts. That's very good. Pressures allowed just six. Teron, one. Rob Jones, two. Uh, Hunt, one. And Shell, two. Uh, Williams with none. Defensively, Phillips had seven pressures. Chubb had six. Wilkins, four. Rowe, three. Kohu and Baker, two apiece. Seven guys had one. 31 total pressures. We have to finish those, man. Run stops, Phillips and Wilkins had five apiece. Baker and Rowe had four. Kohu and Sealer had three apiece. Holland and Erob had two, and four guys had one. Xavier Howard played 58 coverage snaps, 106 yards. He drew Mike Williams 82% of the time per next gen and gave up three catches on 97 yards, all of those on vertical routes against single high coverage. That's where your star cornerback needs to excel, and he did in this game. Cater Kohu, 56 snaps, 83 yards. Keon Crossan, 37 snaps, 36 yards. And that's your stats from this game for Pro Football Focus. Let's go ahead and take our last break and come back on the other side and hear from head coach Mike McDaniel. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Before we hear from head coach Mike McDaniel, let's go ahead and list the snap counts from the game, what we learned from those uh, in this Chargers defeat. The entire offensive line and the quarterback went wire to wire. Hasn't happened very frequently this season, but it does in this one. 51 snaps for all six players. Waddle leads all receivers playing 84%. Tyreek, of course, managing the injuries and the ankle that he had. 34 snaps, good for two-thirds of the workload. And then Sherfield, 61%. So again, those top three guys pretty consistently. Cedric Wilson gets 20 snaps. That's 40% of the workload. And then Freddie Swain played seven snaps in the game. At tight end, 
Durham Smythe leads away with 30 snaps. Mike Gesicki plays 20 in the game. Alec Ingold also gives you 20 at fullback. And in the running back position, Mostert plays 73% after the Jeff Wilson injury. He, of course, played just eight snaps in the game. And Savon Ahmed gives you five. So pretty much the same story on offense. You go to the defensive side of the ball. Holland played all 80 snaps. Man, he's getting his money's worth this year, isn't he? Cater Kohu, Xavier Howard played all but one snaps in the game. Jerome Baker missed just four snaps in the game, 76 total for him. And then we get those two guys up front that never leave the field at tough positions. Sealer, 67 snaps. Wilkins, 66, good for 84 and 82% of the workload. Phillips gives you 59. So it's just those three guys have been so reliable. Eric Rowe with the injury played two-thirds of the snaps, 53 in the game. Bradley Chubb played 50. Keon Crossan was on the field for 44 snaps. That's that's more than half of the snaps at the cornerback position. And Elijah Campbell gave you 25 snaps in the defensive backfield. Verone McKinley playing 16, and Clayton Fedgelin was out there for three as well. Other linebackers, Roberts played 43, just over half of the snaps. Melvin Ingram, pretty familiar, or I should say, uh, ordinary snap count for him 37 in this game Duke Riley similar story 26 for him Van Ginkle Jenkins and Verone McKinley all played 16 snaps and then Justin Zimmer gave you eight and Sam Egwavon gave you one so not a ton to learn from there I think injuries is kind of the key uh, takeaway there in terms of how many guys were called upon to to play crucial snaps but that's your snap counts for the game on Sunday let's go ahead and hear from head coach Mike McDaniel on Monday who said that Teron Armstead came out of the game feeling pretty good so that's a good sign as far as playing through that pec strain that he he suffered. Uh, mentioned Tyreek Hill did a good job of toughing it out, but he'll come in for treatment this week. And from all indications, it's just bumps and bruises, and he should be able to work through it this week. Eric Rowe seems more up in the air, day-to-day type of stuff, and they'll have time to figure out this week. Same story for Jeff Wilson, who's also day-to-day. They avoided catastrophe, as Coach said. We'll see about his availability this week. I want to play four sound bites here from Mike McDaniel. Two are this kind of question and follow-up. We'll go ahead and play those back-to-back. He was asked about the importance of these must-win games and how you kind of manage the team and, and message the t- your messaging to the team, I should say, about these very important late-season games. And then he was asked to follow up, is that on the players exclusively? Here's Coach, one, two, back-to-back answers. I think you have to – you try your best to condition your team um, uh, that that is always the case, only because you don't – um, you're not promised anything, and you don't know how things are going to play out. I think, uh, you know, the the my approach has been to to make sure that the each game, um, you know, especially since the bye, each game was treated uh, with the severity of a playoff game, uh, and you know, I, I think that that's something that a young team you're you're worried about. Um, I think our, our team has uh, looked at things in terms of preparation um, and intent, uh, has looked at the past couple games that way. And, you know, I think part of uh, where we're at, you know, sitting on a two-game losing streak has to do with, um, you know, s- certain guys possibly press- pressing um, and playing outside of, the, outside of the scheme to a degree. Um, to try to make plays, uh, and and you, you know, really down the stretch of a season, it will always be this way. Every game will always matter in December and January if you're in contention because you're talking about um, seeding, uh, home field advantage, um, all of those things. On top of you want to be playing your best ball, um, you know, if if you're 
able to make the playoffs. You, you don't want to be going in there limping into the tournament. So I, I think, you know, the, it's been very, very valuable um, experience uh, going against um, specifically the last, the last two weeks against some uh, playoff caliber teams. And, you know, whether or not that benefits us moving forward is for the team to determine. Do you learn from it? You know, it's the hardest part of professional sports, um, but football specifically, you do so much prep for your 17 ops, right? You're, you work that whole week, um, and then when the result doesn't end up the way you, you want it, um, it's a lot easier to point fingers or give reasons um, because, you know, bottom line is it, it's hard to um, – it's hard to digest that failure. You're talking a lot of waking hours and determination, a lot of people in a concerted effort, and you fail um, at the at the task at hand. But those can be um, the best things, and I, I've certainly been on teams where uh, it's it's been the the whole reason we were able to um, get into the playoffs and do damage in the playoffs. Um, and progress through the playoffs was because they 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 were able to take one or two of those um, you know late November December January losses and learn from it. So that that's the that's the objective of the team right now. Um, from my standpoint, is to identify and, um, and and avoid you know the natural human reaction, which is like oh this hurts too much. This is this is too hard or whatever, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not going to invest as much emotionally. No, this is, this is where, um, you get to find out a lot about, uh, coaches, players, and, and really everybody you're working with, you know, so it's a great opportunity, um, uh, that we have right now and moving forward. Is that all on the players or is it something you and your staff can do to make sure they don't find that? Absolutely not. It's not all, all the players. It's far from it. Um, I think the ideal, what you really want in, in your football team is you want the players to think it's all the players and you want the coaches to think it's all the coaches and it's somewhere in between, but I, it's the furthest from that. I, I, I don't, um, you know, I, I, I try to lead by example, and I'm, I'll, I'm always the first one to be super critical of every single decision, you know, every single, you know, uh, trying to find the whys of why we're not performing. That's, that's my job. Um, and I, and the, the job, I don't think, is done very well when you're like, ah, it's somebody else's fault. You know, that's that, no, that's not how um, it, it's trying to, identify and trying to learn from because what I do know is the I've never witnessed um, firsthand any sort of team that hasn't gone through some sort of turmoil and adversity or um, losing games that they they feel they're very capable of winning or um, any of those things I've never been around a team that's not gone through that to and then had success you know you got to pay the piper at some point um this is what what the national football league is about is it's about um giving your all um 
And when it doesn't work out, getting better from it, not worse. So we have to find a way to do that. Um, you know, I was hoping that that would be the case this past game. It wasn't. So does that um, – I, I, I don't think that – I see it as an opportunity, really, because that, that's – I know the, the only formula for the ultimate end result that everyone aspires for, the only formula is to go through that and come out the opposite end, um, uh, getting better from it, not worse. Two more here for head coach Mike McDaniel. He was asked, what was the issue, point blank, also about how do you get the run game going? His answer was long and in-depth and I thought very you know, very instructive about how he thinks about the two-game losing streak. You talk about a frustrating, uh, a frustrating um, film to watch was, uh, you know, just, just taking that to the face because, um, you know, I think we're, I think we're capable of uh, executing on a multitude of fronts that we didn't. And so then my job is to uh, really assess, you know, what are the common denominators? One thing that stood out um, on both sides of the ball were um, in certain situations, uh, you know, there were guys went from playing within their assignment on both offense and defense to getting into a mode where, hey, I'm going to make the play. And that is an understandable um, emotion from competitors that are highly invested. But you, you have to learn um, sometimes the hard way. And, and unfortunately, I feel like that was the case with us yesterday, that, that you, don't, you don't do that um, in 11-on-11 football uh, with, with any sort of consistency or success. So I saw, um, you know, guys, guys kind of, you know, on, on offense, maybe, uh, maybe adjusting a route or, um, you know, trying to strain another revolution before looking for the ball or um, maybe uh, attacking a read that, you know, wasn't necessarily primary in the, in the progression or maybe – um, there was a couple instances of, of guys really trying to um, engulf the defender at the expense of, you know, what our foundational techniques of how to, how to block people. And as a result, kind of got out of position. Um, defensively, I saw guys be very um, gap sound and, and, and rush conscious when, uh, in terms of, you know, getting after the quarterback. But then all of a sudden, um, in one series, uh, you know, avoiding rush lanes or, um, you know, jumping out of gaps. It, it wasn't one player. It wasn't one position. It wasn't. Um, it, it it wasn't one side of the ball. So to me, that's very telling um, in terms of uh, there's a lot of guys pressing, um, and you know the the job of. Uh, the coaching staff, the job of the players, it, all of us collectively, is to identify why and fix it, um, because it's not. No one else is going to fix it for us, and if we want different results, we're going to have to, um, you know, kind of address things that are difficult. It's difficult to, um, like I said before, fully invest into something and then fall short. But to me, that's where people are made or broken. This league, it's how you respond to stuff. It's not no coincidence that 
my first mantra is adversity is an opportunity. I saw you see this coming a mile away, and this it, you're not void of this um, in any sort of successful season. It, it, this is the name of the game, but you have to be able to, um, as a group, have a collection of people that are willing to be accountable, um, and and uh, while also, you know, being able to handle that that emotional letdown because it's a lot of investment. And guys, I mean, guys were guys were in the tank. They they did not expect that result. But the National Football League, you have to learn that. When certain things don't get done, you you shouldn't expect anything less. That was a good football team that that had um, that had all of their reasons to go ahead and try to win that game, and you know what they they did. You have to live with that. I think if you um, I think you you have a chance um, to be happy with your game season year, career, if in those moments you say, okay, you know what, this is hard, that means this is just my style. I'm, I'm will, willing to look, look myself in the mirror and see how we can adjust. Um, and to me, um, you, you, all of those things will handle themselves if collectively we're able to do, we're able to do that. It's a tough task, but you know, winning's tough. Last question here from Mike McDaniel. He was asked, is this something where in self-scouting you need to make philosophical changes or just do what you do better? Here's Mike McDaniel. You know, I, I would be very worried if within, uh, you know, the framework of the things that we've been working on since August, if there wasn't answers through technique. Um, but as far as, uh, you know, I don't look at any game. I look at every single game as how to apply our techniques, um, but you don't you don't necessarily give the same presentation or you know there, there's you're always adjusting to defenses that never stops. Um, and I think yet yeah you look at, you take a hard look at um, why stuff isn't working, and I think you'd be a fool to continue to do stuff that doesn't work. Um, you're trying to find the right formula for your matchups and, and various things um, while positioning your players to um, be successful. Um, and um, just I, I, I don't look at it any different when, you know, you guys are high five in a productive offensive day. I, that, that's in the past to me. Um, that means nothing for the next opponent. Um, and, and you have to find a way to, for your players to be successful against the next opponent. So that, that is very much at the forefront of my mind, um, each and every week. And of course it wouldn't, wouldn't be anything less, uh, you know, after you have results that aren't, aren't really up to your standard. All right, there you go. We were checking in right around a half hour before head coach Mike McDaniel spoke, but he's always so interesting and gives us valuable thought there. So I thought I'd go ahead and play some longer editions of his answers there. You can find the entire thing in its entirety up on YouTube, on the team YouTube channel. In the meantime, it's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple's podcast. Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. No podcast until Friday. Next time I talk to you guys will be the game preview for the Buffalo Bills. And then next week, we're back to full time. So just remember 
that. Also, go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice, the postgame show on 560, all the international podcasts in the network. Again, that YouTube channel for media availability, cinematic recap, all kinds of content up there for you guys. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron. Daddy's coming home.